Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Hi, I'm Pete Moore. And my name's Bex Gregory. And together we are the co-hosts of the Entertainment Engine podcast. We are really excited to share more information about our show. The podcast is for new and existing creatives working in music, film and TV. Weekly, we provide our listeners with information, advice and knowledge to help people navigate a career in the entertainment industry. Plus, we have fantastic guests from the world of entertainment who share their stories with us, where we learn from their experience of working in the entertainment business built in with some fun facts along the way. So be sure to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google Podcasts, plus many others. We look forward to welcoming you to the show. This week we speak with the renowned film and TV composer Randy Edelman, who is responsible for creating the soundtracks to legendary films including 27 Dresses, While You Were Sleeping, The Last of the Mohicans, Kindergarten Cop, Dragonheart, Twins, My Cousin Vinny, The Mask, Beethoven, Ghostbusters 2, Leap Year, The Whole Nine Yards and an endless array of others. Some of the television shows and series he has scored include MacGyver, Mr Sunshine, Backdraft 2 for Netflix and Citizen X for HBO. Randy discusses his early life and how he began writing his own music and lyrics with an eye towards doing his own albums and how this led to appearances as an opening act to such diverse groups like The Carpenters, Frank Zappa and The Mothers of Intervention. His songs began being recorded by such popular recording artists like Barry Manilow, Olivia Newton-John, Patti LaBelle, The Carpenters, The Fifth Dimension, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Cool and the Gang and Bing Crosby, just to name a few. In 2021, Sony Masterworks released Randy's original score to Ghostbusters 2 in all formats. He has also just penned and recorded a new single during the pandemic lockdown period called Coming Out the Other Side, which shares such a great message, especially with what has been going on over the last couple of years. But we'll pop a link in the description of this episode, so be sure to take a listen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another show from the Entertainment Engine team. And today we have a really special guest, legendary composer and singer-songwriter all the way from the USA, Randy Edelman. Randy, how are you? I'm good. I'm really good. It's a beautiful day here in sunny Beverly Hills. Oh, oh brilliant. Now, well, in the UK, we'd love to say the same, but it's a little bit dreary <laughs> over here. Yeah, but I that's that's what I love over there. When I go over there and the sun comes out, I hate it. I want that real London fog, oh. wind blowing in your face. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> well, I was um, walking around London actually yesterday, Randy, and it was a bit really, I've got, I've got to say, it was a little bit, it's a bit like Armageddon, where obviously, you know, with what's happened with the COVID, yeah. And yeah. It, just, mm. it, it just seemed that London have had its teeth kicked in quite a lot. And it just, I was saying to Bex, it was just really weird. Yeah, it's just the atmosphere mm. is not quite the same. Okay, you need to get me over there. That's that, That'll do it. Yeah. Well, I, I think we need yeah. to get you into Hyde Park and get a load of people and just give you, a, just get your orchestra. Yeah. And I think it just cheer people yeah. up, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's make there. it happen. Are you up for that? <laughs> of course, I'll be. Believe me, as soon as it's as soon as it's um, open to go and uh, safe, uh, I will be there. 
believe me, I got a couple of things now. I could do uh, something I'm scoring now. I'd love to be doing it there, but I, I can't go, <laughs> you know, so I have yeah. to do it right here, right down the street. It's more convenient, but not as fun. No, no, no. I suppose just touching on COVID, how, how have you been with COVID? How's your family been? You've been safe and well? Mm. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been, yeah, everything's, uh, yeah, everything's been great. It hasn't really, well, it, it, luckily I can do most of what I do right in my studio. It's in my backyard. So I haven't really had, uh, you know, I've been actually, I haven't stopped. So I've just been doing it here, which is Easy. I mean, I've been to New York a couple of times recently, but yeah. it's been fine. Oh, good, good, good. So you've been able to yeah. keep busy. That's the main thing. That's good. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've been, yeah. Burning away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which wow. is one of the reasons that we're talking, because I have this new single out, which is about the COVID, which I hope you're going to play. Oh, we've got to play it's that. It's called Coming Out the Other Side, man. And I haven't written or sung or done songs because I haven't wanted to, nor do I have the time to in years. And I've done this thing, and it's popping all over the place. I mean, big time. It's not the normal uh, Randy Edelman, beautiful, melodic piano ballad, you know. It's something else. Not a serious thing about the COVID. It's like a fun, really fun thing. And I would have never done it. You just ask what I, uh, if I hadn't been, quote, I'm not exactly locked up here in downtown Beverly no. Hills. But I'm, uh, you know, I wouldn't have done it if all that hadn't have been happened. So that's oh. what happens. One door closes, another opens. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So really, to get started then, Randy, because I understand you were born in New Jersey, right? So it'd be great to learn more about your early life and where you, you know, first had your love for music, where it all began. Yeah, it all began there in New Jersey, you know, a little piano in the living room. And I just I started when I was very young, kind of gravitated toward the, the piano and just, uh, it's, you know, kind of been there from the beginning and that's that's where it started i i never had uh and i was you know i studied you know really i was a classical uh, pianist you know and i studied serious stuff but i always loved you know other kinds of things listening to the radio and blah 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 i won't go on and on but it was yeah so i've been doing this for a, a long time but not uh, having no idea where this was gonna go um and a family who uh, had no idea or concept of, of you know, going into music. I mean, if you go into music, what do you do? You you teach, you know, that's about it. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't have any anyway, but uh, that was never in my head. I was never going to ever do that. So, uh, you know, uh, that's a, making a long story short. I started when I was very young and uh, kind of... Uh, was listening to the radio and always into kind of the sound of records and uh, uh, having to do with the arrangements, like who was playing a certain string line or something on the records. And that kind of thing, though it sounds strange for a little kid to be into, led to, you know, this uh, wonderful, you know, fortunate life that I've been doing for all these years. You know, mm -hmm. and just doing a million different things. Every everything that I did was not a plan. The plan was to be a great musician, and uh, so I worked, you know, really hard at that. And then things happened, and I was able to just do whatever came up. You know, I was never a singer <laughs> or a songwriter, uh, but that was happening. So I I did that for a long time, and then was uh, interested musically in doing much more you know, challenging things and then uh, got into scoring films and TV mm. and everything. 
you know. So, I mean, people think like in it, people think that I am the son of that person. Really? Seriously. Right. Wow. <laughs> no, no, real. No, really. Well, I'm not talking about something like, mm. oh, I was in Australia doing right doing the opening for the Olympics and they no, this is I'm the son of that guy. I mean, you know those songs because they happened yeah. in England, the uptown up yeah. woman concrete. Well, I'm the son of that guy. They just can't fathom that I could be someone that it's not that I changed courses. Well, of course I did, but it's the, you can't just change course. Mm. It doesn't happen like that. And you have to be ready anyway. So, but I'm the same, you know, they just, you know, you say, Hey, well, I was, you know, 22, 23 years old. And then now I'm, you know, it's just, they don't, it's, it's really funny. People just don't mm. assume that. Whereas I would think, Oh, that's the first thing you'd assume. I'm the same person, but they don't. They think yeah. I'm a different person. <laughs> and if funny, I have the same it? name, yeah. if I have the same name, then I'm the son. <laughs> wow. I mean, I get it. It's every day this happens. It's not every day. You know what I'm saying. It's a constant. Yeah. I just laugh, you know. <laughs> no, yeah. and I mean, looking at your, you know, from your graduation, you headed back to New York, Randy, and then you signed as a staff writer to CBS April Blackwood Music. I mean, how was that experience for you? Uh, that was 50 bucks a week. That wasn't, well, I wasn't, here's, here's the thing. All right. When I was at uh, a very serious music conservatory in the Midwest, that's too long a story. You'd say, why, if you were from New Jersey, and I'm from right across the bridge from New York, I'm not from like the good part of New Jersey that's like, you know, the Garden State where Jackie Kennedy used to have horses. And I'd hear, oh, Jackie mm-hmm. Kennedy jumps her horses. And I was going, where the fuck is that? I don't. Really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't even know yeah. why they call it the Garden State, or like in the in the you know cushy part where like Bruce Springsteen lives, you know, and down near the shore. I was in like the concrete jungle, you know. So yeah. um, Bergen County, right across the bridge. Anyway, so long story short, we won't get into it. I ended up going to this music conservatory in the Midwest because I was studying pre med, you know. Like this is this is when I was like sixteen, the first year of college, but. When I decided that I was going to switch and and get out of that because I was always into music, I would bring kids from the school. And, you know, there's always the story, a story, as you know, always gets around to one thing. And that's a girl. You know, it's always Mm -hmm. about girl. So here (laughs) I am in this school, you know, going to like the 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 beer mug club or whatever they called it and there's these rock bands and i'm like you know and i see this girl singing and then you know trying to figure out hmm, how am i gonna and, and meet this girl and one day i'm practicing the piano in one of the buildings on the campus and there's somebody sitting in the back of the room and of course it turns out to be this girl and i leave there and i have my music playing and she says oh you know you're really great i love listening to you play and i said oh it's you blah 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 you should sing one of my songs. Well, of course, I had never written a song in my life. <laughs> so I wrote a song and took some of the kids from the school down to a little record studio in a garbage dump in Cincinnati, Ohio. The name of that studio was called King Records. If you know anything about your history, King mm-hmm. Records was an R&B label with Bobby Blue Bland and someone else by the name of James Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, things happen, you know, sometimes crazy things happen. And after a while, I was going down there all the time. 
because I was like this guy who was kind of writing some very bad songs for these people in these rock bands, most of them these cute girls. And so one day, James Brown comes in there. It's not that he lived there or hung out there, but they see this guy standing on top of the piano with this kid conducting these like string players. And at that time, uh, you would, if you were in that area, if you wanted to make a real record, you went to either Chicago or Memphis, not Nashville, but ne- Memphis was closer. And, you know, if you wanted to do kind of a record with with horns and strings and stuff, and suddenly they said, hey, you know what? We don't have to go there. We can just call this kid up from the school. <laughs> that's what happened. Okay, long story short, that's why I'm telling you this. So that when I got out of that school, among other things, I had a bag full of this R&B stuff and arrangements of these records I had done. And walked into wherever it was, April Black with Music, which was CBS's publisher. And uh, they kind of they kind of liked what they were listening to. They didn't really understand it. And when I left there, they sent me a thing and they said, okay, like we'll give you a job. But it turns out they really didn't give me a job. They figured out a way to get me in there and give me $50 a week. I didn't have a job. I was a staff writer. But to be a staff writer, you're supposed to be a songwriter. So I had a little bit of experience, and that's that's what happened. That's how I started. And um, at the same time, uh, I got a, a job playing uh, piano in a Broadway show, which was actually, it doesn't sound like it, that was actually much more exciting than my writing these songs. Uh, but so that's how I kind of started very, very, very quickly and never realizing how kind of um, fortunate it was for a young kid that may have had some talent, of course, and was willing to work hard, but th- these things were starting to happen, and they all led mm-hmm. to me going out on the road, conducting for Dion Warwick and Pet Clark and all mm-hmm. these people whose records I had loved and, and bought, you know, a, a few short years before that. Yeah. And then about that time, the music business had completely changed. It wasn't any longer a music publisher taking a song to a record producer at a label who played the song for an artist that they produced on that record label. Now, 90% of everything it was selling was people who wrote and record and produced their own records. I don't care if it was uh, the Beatles or uh, James Taylor or the Eagles or everybody. That's what was happening. So suddenly there was only a very small, small amount of people who were recording who didn't write their own songs. I mean, they, you know, there's a small group. Mm. The whole business had changed. Obviously, way, way back, you know, we're talking, you know, uh, well, when, you know, you, you know, when all that happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. The music business changed. So now, what don't, what don't, I, I see what's going on. And suddenly I start hearing these albums. So I was kind of out on the road conducting. I had a little office at CBS. I had a job playing in a Broadway show. I mean, I was happening. I was happy to just keep doing that for the rest of my life. But I heard these albums and on these albums sort of goes back to what I mentioned to you, uh, you know, a little while back. I, I had told you I used to listen to records and was always into these uh, the, the arrangements and the string parts and all that. And I started hearing these albums like Elton John's album. And I hear these beautiful string parts written by a guy named Paul Buckmaster. Um, and then a lot of these other records. And suddenly musical was kind of appealing to me, not just the songwriting. And all of a sudden I said, you know what? You got to be, you got to make your own albums. So the next day I signed like a hundred page 
recording contract, you know, with mm. some little silly label, never showed it to a lawyer. And within a few weeks, I had done my first album. <laughs> wow. that, I, mean, I mean, really, now, obviously, I had written the songs. Um, and that yeah. had to do with one of those girls I talked about dumping me. And I was all depressed, you know, walking around New York, this sad guy. And, uh, you know, oh. so there's always, <laughs> yeah, it, you yeah. know, don't know. It's just, hey, you know what? It was all great. You know, it all turned out great. But the, I'm just I'm just saying. So these these kind mm-hmm. of circumstances led me into that. Now, at the time, I figured, OK, you'll do this album. I signed my name. I had to call a cousin of mine who was an attorney. And I remember I was sitting sitting in a phone booth on a highway. And I said, you know, I said, I, I'm sorry. You know, I didn't show you the contract because I knew that if I showed him the contract, he was going to make a big deal about it. And these people were going to say, get out of here. You know, I, I, you know, I didn't exactly have mm. anything really going. Um, and uh, so I did that album. And even though it was for a small label, and nothing happened with it. It turns out that things did happen. Actually, a lot of things yeah. happened. And yeah. one of the things that happened is, well, as I told you, nobody was selling records at the time who didn't write their own stuff. I mean, the big selling records, you know, the 99% of it. But there mm. were a few people around who were. Um, and mm. one of them was this boy and girl, a brother and sister like kids and they were Mm -hmm. selling zillions of records and won't get into it somehow my little album (laughs) found its way to the brother of the brother and sister who was Mm -hmm. a talented guy his name was richard carpenter and he loved Mm -hmm. this album of mine and he loved the piano playing he really associated with it and the next thing i know Obviously, you know, there's more to this story, but I won't get into it. Um, the next thing I know, not only are they recording some of these songs from this unknown album, but they asked me to be their opening act. Now, you wow. got to understand, <laughs> I had never done anything. And as far as performing, nothing. And the only thing I knew to perform were the 10 songs on that album. I had never sung for my mother, for anybody, but I, I yeah. could do those songs. So they took me on tour with them they recorded a couple of those songs which was obviously you know kind of a stamp of approval that you always in some area have to get it's not like the album is selling you know now i'm on a different thing and um that went on for a while and then i was called by like frank zappa and the mothers of invention to open for them and you'll say what you couldn't have a more diverse kind of act no than the the whitest of white and frank zappa and the mothers but and what did I do? What could I do? The ten songs on my album. It's not like <laughs> yeah. oh, I'm opening for Frank Zappa. I have to have a different fucking par- persona. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I have to look different. I have to do a hip act. No, I didn't have anything. I had my piano and the songs. So that you know, and then blah blah blah. And then I, so I continued. Instead of doing this one album, figuring, okay, you'll do one album and nothing will happen, probably. That's just the way things always go. And you'll then go back to your, you know, your little office and you're playing on Broadway. But that didn't happen. I suddenly got into these other things, even though the albums weren't exactly happening or at all. But people were starting to record the songs. And that's how my life went. And when I was like on my 
you know, there, there were other things that went on. I, I scored some little movies and stuff like that. So I was kind of getting yeah. my feet wet. And mm-hmm. when, you know, I'm, I'll make it all as short as I can, when all of a sudden, out of the blue, I went, I got a call, and there was a little uh, station in London called Capital Radio, and Capital yeah. Radio broke a single of a joke I had done on my album that I thought, okay, this is it. It's my, like, fourth album. You, you haven't had a hit record. The albums haven't sold. And the album came out here. And it's just like, that's it. Now I'll go back to doing other things. When lo and behold, I did an oldie. And, and at that time, doing an oldie, like years later, you know, Linda Ronstadt and James Taylor and people mm-hmm. did oldies. At that time, nobody was doing it. So I just did it because I loved this old song called Concrete and Clay that I had heard yeah. when I was a kid. But it never sounded right to me. It sounded like it was like, very it wasn't done fully it sounded like they did part of it never finished the record so Mm. i did it capital released it and the next thing i knew i'm on top of the pops with a group i never heard of called abba who just (laughs) i never heard of them never heard of them at all um and um oh my god there were amazing people on it and you know so all of a sudden this stuff happened in England. Yeah. It didn't happen here, to be quite honest. It happened there. After all this time, uh, something crazy happened. And what it did is it perpetuated this singer-songwriter career. You know? Mm. And then while I was there, I'll never forget that week. Because, you know, things always happen like in bunches. The same week that I was doing that Top of the Pop show, and of course it was like, it was like, I was like... Uh, you know, a Walter Mitty character. I was like, this, it's not that it can't be happening. I was ready for it all. And as far as being a musician and a producer, I was more than ready. But it's still something. I was still very young. And um, I had been through, you know, after four albums, I figured I was had been through the mud, you know. And um, that week I got a call and there was this guy named Barry Manilow who had become hot and he liked this song on my album called Weekend New England on that same album. So from that one album with Uptown, Uptemple Woman and uh, Concrete and Clay and every song recorded, I mean, by great people, there were just a lot of songs. So suddenly, you know, after that, Clive Davis came in and wanted to get me off my label. So all that kind of stuff happened and. The reason I'm telling you all is, is, you know, and then Barry's record was a kid and some other people had hits. It was like this singer-songwriter thing, which I kind of was figuring at the end of the fourth album, you're gone, mm-hmm. you know, get into your... It, it didn't happen like that. And it's like I did a couple of albums, but the same thing sort of happened. They didn't really have... I went back to England. I did an album for Elton John for a new label he had, his own label called Rocket Records. Rocket Records, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. then, listen, so, but it didn't, you know, didn't, and then I went to Sweden and I did an album for ABBA because ABBA oh. loved me because they met me years before that and loved yeah. Uptown Uptemple Woman. They thought I was a big star from the United States when, in fact, I was whoever I was, but they sort of remained in contact with me. And uh, what's your name? If right. Whatever she recorded a song. And so this is, I ended up, so that was my last. It's like my next stop was like gonna be Siberia. You know what I mean? I kept yeah. going like east or west, you know, United yeah. States, London, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, a Stockholm. Then anyway, that's when at that point I said to myself, you know what? I'm stopping this shit. You know, I don't want to write three minute hit songs anymore or, you know, try uh, because I had other musical areas that I was uh, much, much more interested in. And I I think I, I at the time I felt I definitely with about eight solo albums, I had played that end of it out. (laughs) You know, it wasn't that it was bad. It was all great. And, you know, but I was interested in other things. Now, it's Mm -hmm. it's just, you can't just turn your ship around because, and and matter of fact, it's impossible. And Mm. as far as being like a quote, serious composer, if any of those things that I did had been a hit single here, like Concrete and Clay, I would have mm. never been able to score films. Not that I wouldn't have been able, uh, as far as skill-wise, to do it. They yeah. wouldn't have taken me seriously. And I know that sounds like, oh, that's impossible. No, that's just the way it is. Mm. So when I started doing this stuff here, I was still an unknown. People in the mm. film business didn't know me. I was just this new, talented guy who fortunately looked maybe eight or 10 years younger than I really was, you know? And um, so, you know, it took a while because you always have to have a kind of a, a certain film. You can't just score, you can score things for a hundred years and yeah, you, you may do it and the work's great and it's satisfying, but you don't really kind of explode in that area. You have to get the right kind of thing. And I had, once again, a strange thing happened after a period of time with these uh, huge comedies with the director Ivan Reitman, and okay. that's how I really uh, got going in that kind of big Hollywood, uh, you know, film scoring. Yeah, thing. and um, I know because you've done some amazing credits, haven't you? I mean, the list just goes on and on. Yeah, you know? the, wow. yeah, and 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 what happens is that see, it didn't have to be that kind of thing. I'm not particularly. It's, especially when I write, I, I'm a serious mm-hmm. musician. What I write is not particularly funny. And even some of those scores that I did, mm. I mean, I was the comedy king for a very long time. And I uh, I mean, I do the big ones for Ivan, like Twins and Ghostbusters 2, which yeah. by the way, Ghostbusters 2 has just been released by Sony Classical for the first time, my score in 32 years. Wow. That's, yes. Yeah, that and it's a big, really, it's a big deal. But I, I won't get into the story why, blah blah blah. But um, so and Kindergarten Cop and all that stuff with Ivan, those were kind of um, you know, big kind of big comedy, uh, mainline scores as opposed to I would pick a little comedy which was a nothing like My Cousin Vinny. And yeah, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well yeah. oh, yeah, you're saying, oh, oh, because it's a classic, but it yeah. was then. And Adam Sandler's first film called Billy Madison, and yeah. uh, oh, Jim yeah. Carrey, and Jim Carrey's breakout film, which he was brilliant in, called The Mask. I the did mask, all yeah. those. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. did them all. So um, it Amazing. just turns out. But if you listen to a lot of them, if you listen to this, my soundtracks, you wouldn't even. You wouldn't even be able to tell they were comedies because in comedies is action and romance and drama and once in a while some funny stuff. But if a comedy is good and if it has somebody really talented in the lead Mm -hmm. role, as all those pictures did, you don't need music to play their comedy. They, They better be funny. 
you yeah. know. So yeah, so so I, you know, I mean, and and of course, then once I started doing that stuff, I had no time. I mean, that's twenty four seven, you know, every day. Uh, yeah. And you live whatever it is the movie is, and you don't go out. And you know, twenty yeah. some odd years later, I turned around. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. was I. I had no time, and people would say like, "How come you don't? You didn't write a song for that movie?" And I'd say, "Hey, first of all, they don't use any songs ever in movies anymore. They're records that come in at the last minute, maybe for a, mm. a, a montage scene or an end credit. But and yeah. plus, it's not my job." No director wants to come in who needs support in a certain scene of which I write 50, 60 cues for every uh, movie and wants to, oh, you know what? You know that theme I wrote? Listen to me sing you this song. They throw up and throw me out the door. You know, that's not, <laughs> yeah, my, yeah, yeah. That's not yeah. my thing. Now, the nah. only funny, funny thing that you would appreciate is the only time that happened, and you could probably guess what I'm going to say, was when I did a picture and the director was English and they were a certain age or maybe much and the greatest director in the world who I worked with who passed away unfortunately this year Alan Parker I mean the best nobody nobody you can put them all in one thing Spielberg and everybody else nobody was as great as Alan Parker and fortunately Mm -hmm. I got to do a film that he wrote about the internment camps in California in the 40s and um but he he knew Uptown Up Temple Woman and Jonathan Lynn, who I did My Cousin Vinny with and, yes. and many other yeah. things, um, yeah. who, who did that show, Yes, Minister. I didn't know yes. it then, but yes, obviously yeah, yeah. he was very successful. But he knew. So those guys, and of course, when I went to London, which was often to score a film with a big orchestra like at Abbey Road, the orchestra, whenever we got done, they'd wait like five days of these you know, very political pressured sessions mm-hmm. with a full orchestra and everybody flying from the studio in Hollywood there and all the bullshit that goes down. And then at the end, the whole orchestra would sit there and they'd look at me and they'd say, sit down, play it. And I'd go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, the film, and the film people would go, what, what are you doing? And they, and then the orchestra would say, shut up. And, they, and there were some other things, but anyway, that's, um, it was kind of funny. That would always, yeah. you know, would always happen. Um, and these people here, I, I swear to God, I mean, they knew nothing about anything about that stuff, which was fine because I, I was completely, uh, I, I mean, I'm not just saying I was, Musically, it was such a great uh, challenge for me to score films, which I'm still, of course, doing. Yeah. And um, it was just you just get completely focused and you don't have time. Now, that's my, you know, I just gave you uh, a, a mouthful. No, but, it's great. Uh, so- no, no, it's great to learn more insight into, you know, the whole process and everything. I mean, I was going to ask you a little bit more about, you know, the process of composing a soundtrack, because like you said, you've got to be in the zone. You've got to focus in that yeah. moment. Is it quite yeah. hard working with producers and directors? Do they, are they quite hands on and you've, or the flexibility on it? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, well, okay. It's not hard. It's impossible. Right. So you wonder right now, when I look back, I'm serious now, when I look back, I don't know how there's so much, so many things you see a film 
all these films, and by the way, it doesn't matter whether it's a good film or a, or a bad film in terms of quality. It doesn't matter if it's a comedy or a period drama or an action film or a romantic comedy. These things take years and years mm. to put together. Most of them are never, ever, ever given a green light. They're never made. Yeah. Okay? Wow. Now, so each one that is made has a history. They may have been a novel that somebody bought 20 years ago, but then somebody wrote a screenplay they didn't like. Mm. And so the studio put it in a turnaround. Then it went to this person. Then someone was going to star in it, but they couldn't get the schedule. It's all these stories. So, mm. like I said, it's years and years and years. Once in a while, maybe, you you have somebody who's hot, like when I did Triple X with Vin Diesel. Uh, it was because he was coming off Fast and Furious, the first one. You know, yeah. that was fairly fast. So they're, they're once in a while are, yeah. are, are stories like that. Mm. But those things are kind of derivative of something else. But most of the time, there's a history. And what happens, you've got all these producers, you have a director, you have a studio. And by the way, in feature films, in television, uh, producers and networks are involved. In feature films, there's nobody involved. Zero. Mm -hmm. Only one person, the director. That's it. Okay. So that's the only person who I have contact with. And um, so what I wanted to say is uh, the composer obviously makes uh, a major, hopefully a positive contribution. I mean, it's it's as good it's as good or better than the characters in the film. Yeah. But the composer is not part of that history. Is not part of the family because it's a family. When you get into these films, they've been around for 15, 20, 10, 5 years. But the composer is never uh, selected till they're done. Now, once in a while, if you've got a relationship with the director, you may know that or, or figure that you're going to be asked to do it, but you still don't really see anything. And it's not that you can't see anything till it's a final edit. However, uh, with me, like I know, reading a script or talking about it, that means nothing. You have to see something. You have to see the characters. You have to see what it looks like, the style of the film, the way it's shot, all kinds of stuff. So what I'm saying is a composer comes in at uh, the end and it's an odd situation because everybody else has been around for forever. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. funny. Yeah. And, and even though you may say, oh, well, you come in and they pick you, which is usually not the case, you're not you you get there by means of a certain things happening but they didn't necessarily pick you they picked someone else but something happened and they did mm. this and th you know a, a long story mm. um but when you come in it doesn't matter what you've done it's like okay you're the new guy now you gotta put your stamp on this on yeah. what everybody has been working for years so a lot of pressure that you come in like that so it's a major pressure cooker yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, could spend yeah. if i said you could spend a year on all these films easy you could spend mm. two years it's like writing mm. an opera however if they give you a week you have a week you have as much time as they give you and that can vary i happen to like a lot of crazy situations that i've gotten involved in that i don't have any time and the reason you could probably think of is um, 
they can't, they don't have time to come around and fuck with me. Mm. That's the <laughs> truth. Sorry to use this language, but that's <laughs> no, it's, no, it's really enough. it's really interesting, Randy, because when they start coming to the door yeah. every day, and of course now with the technology with synthesizers, years ago film composers, what do they have? They had a moviola if they were really big time in their house and a piano. And they had to wait for the big scoring date in the studio with a full orchestra to hear the music. Now, of course, you don't have to wait at all. You come to everybody's house. They've got a, you know, whatever their setup is. And if you don't like it when you hear it here, you ain't going to like it at Abbey Road with the London Symphony. It is what it is. You know, mm. the scene is what it is. The music has a certain style, feeling, emotion, build. And uh, if it's a solo piano, great. If it's not, it's a full orchestra. But you can hear mm. it in my place as well as everybody that does this. You know, they've got some kind of setup. I have actually a very simple setup, but you can get what it is. And so it's a it, it's a real uh, it's a fight. Mm. Very few situations uh, are just they hire you to do the film. They hired you. They like you. They trust you. They've heard something and it just goes down. You score the film and goodbye. It doesn't it's not like mm. that. And and they also after they've, uh, you know, kind of driven you crazy with, <laughs> with <laughs> changes and stuff. And then it's not me that goes in. I give it to them like it's it, like you give somebody a baby. It's your baby. But guess what? They take that and they go into their final mix with the sound effect and the dialogue and everything else. And you're not there. And I learned years ago, even if you want to be there, you don't want to be there because uh, and they put that music in. They may take it out. Mm. They may play it so softly you can't hear it. They may take certain elements of it out so it doesn't resemble what you did. So all this is wow. involved, which I, I said a few minutes back, like I look back now and wonder how I got out of some of these things with 80% of my score being intact. And that's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Why, that's why there's a famous story about the great Leonard Bernstein. Um, he did one score for a great film called On the Waterfront with Marlon yeah. Brand. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's it. Why? because they screwed around with his music. And mm. when he heard it in the end, he heard cues he wrote for scenes, not there. He heard other cues for mm. scenes that he didn't write for. He heard only certain parts and he never, ever, ever wrote one note for another film. He wrote musicals mm. and they did, you know, West Side Story and other things yeah. from his music. Yeah. But that was different. That that was a musical, and he didn't. He wasn't involved with the film at all. He wrote a Broadway mm -hmm. musical, and then the songs are there. But as far as film scores, and that's what happens. It's it's a real. Um, it's funny. It's a collaborative medium. Except obviously, when I'm sitting here at three in the morning, looking at the film at a scene, there's nobody here with me. I 100% created. But then mm -hmm. it turns something else so you have to you know the best people in this i won't mention any names but first of all there's obviously very you know i i live out here and so you know you'll run into people and when my kid used to go to school it's like four people in the class their fathers were film composers and it's <laughs> like you go all over the world there's no film composer and then he, <laughs> but here you know it's like every other guy in the corner 
it's some guy wanting to be a film. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's funny. But basically, you know, uh, you you have to have as well as, of course, have all the ability in the world because you can't do this unless you got your shit together completely. Mm-hmm. Now, because it's mm-hmm. it's the it's the year it is. Uh, people don't have the musical backgrounds. I happen to have a a real conservatory classical background, but there's other people that do it. Doesn't take anything away from their brilliance. It's just a different set of technical things now, and you can do it a different way, you know. And that's the way they do it. Um, but you're still under the gun, and you gotta do it. And I always say, it's when you write music for films, you have to do it fast, and it has to be right. Yeah, you can't do fast and it's wrong, mm. and you can't do slow and it's right. Mm. <laughs> you got it only works. You look at it, you write it fair. You know, I'm not saying you write it on the spot. You write it quickly. You do what you do, and then it's got to be right, or it doesn't work. So you can imagine with each film having fifty or sixty cues. One may be 10 seconds long. Another cue may be seven or eight minutes long. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's a, you know, and you basically you live the film. Like I said, whether it's a silly comedy or a very serious period drama, it, um, it, uh, you know, it just takes, mm. you kind of live it while you're doing it and you don't really go anywhere. It's like, you know, being locked up for the COVID is yeah. that much yeah, different. Just, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just, it, yeah. yeah, it's just the, it's the way it is if you're fortunate enough to get into it, uh, to be doing it, and to have, you know, the, you're the musical chops together to do it. Because like I said, very quickly, when I say you're found out, I don't mean like people are looking. To, no, it's just like mm-hmm. it's either and and many people uh, they don't get through it you know that was you know these films don't go down uh just just from one to a hundred they start at one and then all of a sudden it's like what i thought he was no he's doing it why well mm-hmm. you know yeah <laughs> that it's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. just it's it's a real it's 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 a heavily political and pressure thing and um uh you know yeah. the, the the music has to be what you can do when whatever your feeling is about whatever the, the film is, but it involves what other people think and the politics of movies. Of course, now it's just all changed with Netflix and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one would ever believe what it's become now, even though, but, but for, for mm-hmm. me or for anyone else, that kind of work is still the same. It's just, you know, and, um, so that's what it is. It's 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 a full time pressure cooker. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think you explain on the film side, Randy. Is it is there much difference for you scoring, say, a television program? Because I think you sort of did the theme song for MacGyver. So is there much difference between oh, well, a movie well, yeah. and well, a I, well, TV? I, I could do a year on MacGyver if you wanted me to, and I won't. <laughs> I didn't know. I just did. I I didn't do the theme. I did the theme when we made a pilot, which everybody ah. hated. Not my theme. They hate it. Well, we, you see, a pilot doesn't have a theme because there's no title. Now, TV doesn't have title. You know, they used to always have a minute at the beginning and there was the song or the theme. Now, if you'll notice, there's like 10 seconds of some kind of introductory thing and they just don't want to know about it. They yeah. want to go into mm. it. But yeah, yeah. Um, so we, we did the pilot 
And it just, it, it was like a two hour movie of the week pilot. And it was so bad, they hated it. They cut it to an hour. Now it's one thing to edit a few minutes out of a film or a TV thing. To edit half of it, <laughs> that's bad. <laughs> and so, but... They liked the guy, Ricky Dean. I haven't seen him in a long time. Ricky yeah. Dean Anderson they really yeah. liked him. And they picked it up. And uh, I, you know, uh, I had done the whole the whole show with something called the Jupiter 8. I was very uh, late getting into electronics and synthesizers because I told you I had the serious background. And if you listen to my stuff and my songs like Uptown, Uptown, mm -hmm. you know, Hero at Piano Playing. Yeah. Um, so I was not like the biggest techno person. And at that time, all this stuff had started happening. I remember I, I got my first real deal that was called a Jupiter 8. And I did that entire pilot myself, no musicians. Huh. one instrument now i played the piano but ben it was it was cool it was cool yeah um but i was used to always when i did these scores at that time smaller scores i hadn't broken into the 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 hollywood you know feature thing mm -hmm. i always did everything myself i never used an orchestrator or a conductor that was part of my thing that's what i did well when they picked that show up they wanted to be wall-to-wall -wall music it was an hour show, so commercials are like maybe 12 or 13 minutes. And then the rest of it, let's say 47 minutes, is the show. And they literally wanted 45 minutes of music. And they wanted it overnight. Well, I can't write 45 minutes overnight. Wow. I mean, big <laughs> stuff. They yeah. wanted it to be like MacGyver, you know, doing a, Indiana Jones. That's what they wanted. Wow. Well, yeah, that's John Williams. At his best with mm. a hundred piece orchestra and Steven Spielberg doing four months of re anyway. Exactly. It, yeah. it, it, suddenly, and everybody said, well, you got to get people. You got to put them in the back room. And I was like, no, no, I don't do that. So I ended up quitting. I mean, I, I couldn't do it. And I was, and, you know, I was taking like these, you know, dexedrine speed to stay up. I wasn't like a, a drug person, but I needed to stay up. <laughs> yeah. So I got real, <laughs> yeah. I would, yeah, I, I couldn't stay up and, <laughs> and I couldn't pull it off anyway. I could pull off a lot of music, but, and I had done other shows where I had to do, yeah, but not in this case. So I left, I still had the theme. Nobody, by the way, you don't quit a big network show like that. You just don't if you're a composer, hmm. but I, of course I did because I just couldn't, I wasn't into it. And I remember saying to myself, you know what? You're not suited to writing music to something like a film or a TV show. Can you imagine this? That's <laughs> what I said. And I, and I went away. It was Christmas. I figured the show, by the way, would be canceled. But after the mm -hmm. first of the year, guess what? They picked the show up again. So I had a call and made up some excuse. You know, I wasn't going to say, I just can't do it. So I left. And um, I, I, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this kind of thing. I think I'm going to go back now to song or songwriting. This is how great. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. If you had told me after, and I, and I was serious because I really, uh, I mean, I felt terrible. I'd never quit anything in my life, mm. you know, anything, let alone musically. But I, I, I wasn't willing 
to put these guys, whoever these phantom people were, and of course they were around in this town, because that's how this stuff is done for a million years Mm -hmm. in, in this case. So I just went away and blah, blah, blah. And if you could have told me, guess what? In three or four years, you are going to be the busiest film composer in the world. I would have bet anything against that. I couldn't have even figured out how it would happen, nor did I would do it or want to do it. And that's long and short, you know, that's what happens. And then, by the way, the show, the show stayed on forever and i mean a macgyver is a word in the dictionary now yeah and then it yeah. went on in europe and then i remember i went to um a few years after that i went to france and i got the the like legion of honor of writing the the because it was i i was huge in a lot of places but it was huge in france it was on like every night in france you know for writing the greatest tv theme of the decade, you know, some crazy thing. And I remember standing there saying, this is crazy shit, you know. <laughs> so TV is different. TV, you do work with producers and networks. And usually the director of a TV show or pilot, they're gone and either on to their next episode or next project. So it's completely different. Feature films, you're working with a director who has been on the project and may stay on it until it opens, you know, so it's, it's different. That, that was, I did other TV stuff, but that's, that's my big uh, thing. And of course, looking back at it, it was great experience because if somebody wants you to write 45 minutes, literally overnight, let's say you get 25 Mm -hmm. and then you do a feature film and they say, sorry, Randy, you only have two weeks to write 40 minutes of music. Guess what? You go, <laughs> you cry. Yeah. Lip, yeah. you, you could see the look on my face, like yeah. lipping, yeah. you know, and my hands. It's like 40 minutes of music in two weeks. Lay it on me, baby. <laughs> because, go. Let's go. Because, <laughs> because what you can do is at least you can put the film in and you can watch it and think mm. for a minute. But when you're doing that other kind of thing, you're you're scared. It's almost like you're on the next scene when you haven't even seen it because, you know, you have so much to write, you won't get through it. So, you know, all those things work out to be they're good experiences in a musical sense, even though, you know, they may have driven you crazy, which it did to me. Yeah, it's all meant to be. And it's all it's all a learning curve. isn't it? And that was and then my and then after that, my whole life changed. And I just got into doing the film thing nonstop for a very, very long time and still am, you know. But now I'm now now yeah now I'm it's kind of I'm much looser with uh, doing I'm doing all I'm writing a musical I just did the single uh, I'm doing a new thing you know I, different different things and I'm cool with it you know because uh, you know I have a bit of a bit of history uh, and and what's great is for film composers it used to be you know you did a score for a film first of all film composers who were like unbelievable in the 30s and 40s and 50s all these guys from eastern europe who escaped and came here these brilliant composers and they could work in hollywood because there was this new thing called like orchestral scoring for films these guys were great musicians and they kind of invented a way to kind of uh do it uh but they they didn't have the same kind of cachet that film composers have now i mean even films you look at the biggest films there's no composer's name at the beginning it's at the end 
with mm. a bunch of crawl. That's crazy. Like you see yeah. Gone with the Wind and you see like Dimitri mm. Tiomkin or somebody's name. You go, how come his name? They they didn't do it. It took years to get around. To mm. Yeah, it's like you, you wouldn't believe it. So um, now it's different. And of course, what happened was, you know, if you did a big hit movie years ago, maybe it would be on the Sunday night movie or some big thing. Mm. When cable television came around, uh, after it had been around for years and became kind of in the 90s, mm. uh, they needed content. And when they could afford it, what did they want? They wanted Hollywood uh, star-driven movies. And that became of quietly a huge thing for composers because you do a film and guess what? It's got a life. It doesn't have to be the biggest hit or the Oscar winner. It may be a silly comedy. And guess what? 30 years later, that thing is on in every country of the world every day. Mm. Need I say any more for me being kind of not sweating it? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. I mean, you've composed, it's around 100 scores, haven't you, that you've actually done within your, you know, your career. Oh, yeah, yeah. More than that. And you got to understand, I didn't start like these other people that are film composers, like they got out of, they did this, that. They, I, I was, quote, old. I had done all that other stuff mm. before I got going. So I started late. Had I started before, I would have, there'd be, instead of 100, there'd be 200. But I didn't. Yeah. I was making those eight albums I told you about. That takes a long time. Because, you know, you do an album, you don't write 10 songs. You write 30. And yeah. now yeah. it's exactly. Or people tell you, you know what? Here's the 10 good ones, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so so th so I started later, but then I, I burned, so to speak. And maybe I burned myself out. But anyway, that's, <laughs> that's what happened. Well, you, well, you've certainly had a wonderful career, really. I mean, if you could name, say, one of the projects that you've done, what would you say you've got fond memories of that stand out to you most over the years, would you say? You know what? No, I, I, I wish I could. I sort of go through this. I can't tell you, you know why? Because <laughs> there's there. it's not that they're all good. On the contrary, they're not. I mean, good experiences. Mm. But there's just, they all, you know what they have to do with? They have to do with how is my relationship with the director? Yeah. How did the score turn out in terms of what I was talking about before? How did they use it? Did they use it the way it was meant to be? Mm. Could you hear it? Did I have all I care about, because it's the most you can hope for if you're a film composer, is that a couple of times in every film, you get those wonderful, wonderful moments. Mm. And those are the moments when you see the movie and you know, you know what? With all the history, with all the producers, the studios, the director, the stars in it, I did that at three o'clock in the morning by <laughs> myself falling asleep. And that's the only person you're either responsible for it being great or if it's not, it's mm. you're the one who's, you know, takes the the hit, so to speak. But but mm -hmm. there's there's just to, to, you know, if I try to name them because mm -hmm. and by the way, they're not all the ones that you that are the biggest hits. I've had plenty of those, but I have some really great experiences with people um, with yeah. films like Indian in the Cupboard, which is this amazing film uh, that, you know, you've probably never seen it with Frank Oz. Frank Oz was the original Big Bird. He's Big Bird. In, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, yes. 
I mean, he's the brains with with Henson and his Muppets. His yeah. partner was us. He went on yeah. to be a very serious director. And um, I mean, that, that's one of them. Gettysburg was a great experience, even though it was a nightmare because there was so much music uh, in that historical thing. Um, Ed TV and why Ed TV, which is a hysterical movie because it was Ron Howard was the director uh-huh. and Ron Howard is an absolute gem. You don't. And remember I said, there's very few times when people leave you alone. He not only left me alone, he didn't even call me. And <laughs> this is Ron Howard who had win, won like three because he just knew he just, and, and it was, he's the only guy after the, we were done with the orchestra. He goes in front of the orchestra and he stands up there and he said, Randy did such a wonderful job. Now, you may say, well, in all these films, that's not such a big deal. Guess what? It never happened before <laughs> or since. Yeah. Just that little thing. The director doesn't come out. The director sits in the booth, and as they're playing the cues, like, has you come in and says, you know, I don't like that part of it. You know, you know what I mean? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so there, 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 there was a film called... Um, it, this actually was a big hit, Anaconda, about a snake. Yeah. Huge yeah. Yeah. With, yeah. With, yeah. And the director's name was Luis Losa from Peru. Luis Losa hardly spoke English. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when he came over here, I didn't realize. I thought he he understood a little more, but he didn't. And I'll never forget, he's over there, and he didn't say too much. And basically, the bottom line was, when you see the snake, hit it. (laughs) You know what I mean? And, you know, it's just, I, it's just these, there are these, these little things and moments that I remember that wouldn't Uh. be, you know, yeah, can I, talk about you know uh triple x or last of the mohegans or ghostbusters yeah. tour i have all kinds of things but sometimes it's these kind of uh little little moments yeah. that you just um and, and like like i said a lot of these some of these i love these little ones that after i had done some big comedies i was trying because i wasn't particularly funny and i kind of had a certain amount of success in this area and i wanted to do other things uh other than comedies but you couldn't you know i had to kind of turn the ship around Mm -hmm. and you can't just say oh i want to do this or that so uh, you know there there were other you know serious uh things that you want to do and um sometimes they they you know work out you know yeah yeah no exactly and i I think sort of looking Sort of back in 2019, Randy, you sort of returned to London and performed. You did a solo act at the Bedford. How, oh how my God! That? Okay, no, yeah, I came back. I'm trying to think of. There's always a reason. Oh, I know. I came back because I was on my way uh, in Europe, not here. It's crazy. Uh, not not in England. They have uh, many times these um, film music festivals, and that may sound kind of funny. Film music. What's that? Well, obviously. Mm-hmm. Composers get up there and conduct these big orchestras. Well, you wouldn't believe it. You have to see it. You have to see the thousands of people that come who are mm. come with their soundtracks. They know every note. Anyway, I was actually on my way to a place called Tenerife. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. they have this beautiful concert hall. I, I forgot the name of that. You know what? Well, anyway, mm. um, anyway, I was on my way going there, and it was I think my birthday or something, and I stopped in London for some reason 
And uh, somebody knew this. I want to think of his name now. And he did stuff out of this club. So I was, it was my birthday. Tony Moore? Said, was hey, it Tony Moore? Did you do yes, Tony Moore? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. And you know what? He's it's great. so bad that I just didn't come up with his name because he's a great guy. It's terrific. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, yeah, and tell him I said so. He also had a radio show, I think. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. he asked me. He knows somebody that I know here. And it was just like, yeah, no big deal. And I went out to that place thinking it was around the corner from my hotel. You know, the Athenaeum on Piccadilly. You know? Okay. Well, yeah, of yeah. <laughs> well, of course, when I went out to do like, I said, oh, uh, maybe I wasn't even going to do a sound check. But I went out and it took me like four hours in the rain, you know, in a car to get out there because of traffic. Not four hours, but, you know, it's yeah, not yeah. exactly. No, cool. yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. So that's what that was. And it was an absolute blast. And he was a doll. He's a great guy. I love that guy. It's a, it's a yeah. beautiful venue, um, yeah. Randy. Yeah. It's a great yeah, venue, no, isn't it? It was great. And you see, I love stuff like that. Mm. I, and it was like I said, it had it been some big deal, I would have said, well, hold it, I haven't done this in a while and I'm not prepared and blah, blah, blah. So they asked me and I had them bring up a little, little piano to my room for a day or two. And I put together something and I ended up doing like 90 minutes, you know. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a great, it's it great, is. it is great, yeah. Yeah, and if you talk yeah. to him or see him, uh, give him my best because he, he was an absolute doll. And I took him actually, before I left for Tenerife, I took him to... Uh, Oh, an Indian restaurant that I love up there on the bus in um, Shepherd's Market. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, down in the bottom there. Yes, yes. And I, I can't remember the name of the restaurant, but I know, I, I know where you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but he, yeah, he was great. But that's why, yeah, it wasn't like a planned thing, but it, it turned out to be a lot of fun. Oh, when, yeah. when we see Brilliant. Tony, we'll send him your regards, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, one thing really, right? I mean, Regarding sort of compensation as a composer, do you get paid outright, or do you ever have a back end or royalty structure? How do you sort of how have you normally worked in that area? Well, everybody works the same way. You get both. Oh, okay. Oh. Okay. You you now, it depends what the situation is. Mm. You can do a film, and it's a low budget film, but you want to do it. There's a lot of reasons, by the way, that I've learned to do a movie. It has to do maybe with the director. It has to do with the subject matter. It has mm -hmm. to do with someone who's a producer. There, there's a lot of reasons to do a stuff other than money. Yeah. So now, of course, you figure out everybody's got their own way. Can I do this while I'm doing that? Blah, 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 blah. So the point is you get paid a fee, but a lot of times you don't get paid a fee or you get a package thing and you pay for all the expenses mm. or you do it for next to nothing. However, you always are the composer of the music and whoever it depends if it's a little thing, if it's a big studio thing, they own the publishing. But mm. you are always the composer. And when that film is played anywhere uh, on television, out in theaters outside the United States, in the United States, it's a crazy thing. You don't get paid because mm. there was an antitrust thing years ago. Mm. You get paid when it's on television, but you don't get paid when it's in the theater. It had to do with the movie studios years ago. They were the ones who owned the mm. theaters and it was like a kickback thing or something yeah. that they would get paid. So they stopped it. But mm. all I can tell you is, yes, you get paid every time that's if it's played 
something's played right now in uh, Korea, you get paid. If it's played in Brazil, you get paid. So if you do a lot of these things, because of what I said before, cable television, whether it's cable television, yeah, yeah, streaming, all that's changed now, whatever it is. So people don't understand it. But these films are easily like big hit records or songs that's a very quiet thing you'd say geez is that but if you yeah well i can tell you and guess what they obviously because of the situation now last forever yes they're on forever it's not like you have a hit song or hit record you get your initial blast from that particular hit record or the sales of the album or the singles and the airplay then yeah you may write a song that gets recorded over a period of, if you write a big standard. But the film thing has turned out for composers, like I said before, to be different now because mm-hmm. they're on. They're on all over the place at whatever time. And a BMI and ASCAP, that's where you're, that's where the compensation is. Yeah. They collect, yeah. and they have a good system. And now there's other, now of course you have a whole new revenue streams of streaming. But of course, that's not the same. Because kids now think they download stuff and they watch things. They think records don't cost anything and films don't cost anything because somebody just gave it to me on my phone. Yeah. So you have to deal, you have to kind of deal with it. But all in all, if you get into this and if you do things, of course, everything you do, unless it's released and does something, then you're not going to see anything. Mm -hmm. Something has to happen. It can't just sit in a drawer. No. Just like records, you know. No, no. Yeah. No, no. But this, the film thing, it's it's kind of, um, yeah, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I learned kind of the music business kind of on the street uh, by doing stuff and being there and involved in it. But you wouldn't think uh, that this stuff would turn into, well, what it has as far as the film stuff and the TV stuff. But it's just mm-hmm. out there. And unless you've done something weird and signed your life away, which is, you know, maybe things like that happen once in a while. But mm-hmm. as long as it's a standard thing and it's played, you get compensated, even though it's like, you know, a half a penny or you'll see things uh, on your statement. And it says like eight dollars and 50 cents. But what happens is if it's if your statement every 90 days is three or four hundred pages, the eight dollars and 50 cents single space can add up absolutely oh absolutely yeah (laughs) it's like remember when i was a kid when i was a kid some of that we i don't know we always said what's better having x amount or taking a penny and doubling it for a month and you'd always (laughs) pay i'll take a thousand dollars and then all of a sudden somebody (laughs) figured it out and you went whoa when it starts doubling up you know, so anyway, it's, yeah, you're, yeah, if, if you do stuff that's shown, like I said, it's not just doing it and having it come out, something's got to sort of happen. It doesn't have to be the biggest hit movie in terms of grosses, but uh, some of these things are things that have become, it's like when, when doing a little picture like My Cousin Vinny, well, you know, um, if you could have told me that that girl won the Oscar. You you said you're crazy, you know, but she did, you know, uh, Marissa Tomei. Yeah. But, Marissa um, Tomei, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you you know, so I've been through a lot of these these things that started out 
you know, with not, if I said not too much ex- excitement, that would be an understatement. But mm. they've uh, more than, they stood the test of time. I mean, you're talking, yeah. you know, these things are, um, you know, they're they're part of the, the mainstream. And so all those times I was so close to turning down all those comedies because I had already done some of them and I wanted to do more serious stuff. But mm. luckily, I did them. And they're all like major things now. Yeah, iconic. They're, yeah, yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're iconic, yeah. And so, you know, luckily I did enough serious stuff. Another picture called Dragonheart that Sean Connery was the voice yeah. of Dragon. Yes. Um, yeah. Which is one of my most used scores. Um, that was another one, you know, really a, very difficult because they didn't have the, they hadn't developed the technology for the dragon to talk. So they had to wait a while um, while they did that movie. And then it evolved. But but Sean Connery did his part on a golf course in the Caribbean years before the movie came out. He they oh, put a wow. little, yeah, in a little studio there. And yeah. they had the script, and he said, "Okay, you want me to do it? I'll do it. You know, pay me my money, and I'll be out of here." And he did it probably in a couple of days. But the, but then the <laughs> making of it and the technology to develop the uh, the character and and to sync mm-hmm. the voice, it was I think it was ILM that did it, and they were great. Mm-hmm. But it just hadn't. They just developed a certain thing at a certain time that they were able to make it. Let's put it this way: more realistic than than it had been beforehand. But you know, those things are—they were things that really were hard and took place over a long period. And because I had it, but I couldn't write a lot of the music because they didn't have the scenes. They could say, "Okay, here's what the dragon is doing," and they show me like a drawing, and they know the length of the scene. But that's not mm. good. You know, you got to see it. Yeah. You know, you got to see the movement. Yeah. Yeah. Anything you want to ask me, ask me. You know. <laughs> <laughs> just it'd be great to get just with your extensive background, really, and, and what you've been through. It'd be good to get your thoughts on the, how the music business is today. Is there anything that you would change about the industry today, do you think? Is there anything that really frustrates you or you wish that maybe was different? Yeah, I wish the director would never come by you know (laughs) but that's not gonna happen and as far as um yeah as far as uh and i i mean when i say that i don't really mean that except i could think of a couple of instances where that would have been great and then a couple of other instances that uh i have relationships still with with these people um so you know that's unrealistic it 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 is what it is there's no way it's never not going to be a collaborative medium even though it sounds so funny because creating art and the best art is always done by a singular voice. I don't care if you're a novelist or an artist or a composer, you're, you do it by yourself and anything that's new and advances the, the craft is always, always done in somebody's brain Mm. themselves. It's not a collaborative Mm. thing, you know? So there's nothing that I could change about that unless I just, wanted to just sit here in my room and write stuff that by yeah. myself then mm-hmm. you can do it but yeah. you know um and as far as the record business the music i don't i don't know i mean right now i'm doing stuff like i mean when i mentioned that about the single uh, not, 
not that I wouldn't be talking to you anyway for some reason, but there's all these things that you have to do now if you have a record out that I never did any of this stuff yeah. years ago. There were no podcasts, yeah. you know, there was kind of like a promotion and you either did it, you know, and you only only do some of these shows if the record was a hit, then there's interest. But now it seems like, you know, you've got to go on all these sites yeah. and expose stuff. But so, so this, and it's not that I, I don't mind it at all. It's just yeah. different. And as, and as well as, and of course the technology, both, in, both in any kind of music, film music mm -hmm. or making records, it's so much a part of making whatever, what doesn't matter what style mm -hmm. it is. It's just part of the construction of a score or a single or an album. It's a different process. There's no more editing guys, editing tape or anything like that. You can sort of do what you, you could be very flexible if you want to do things or change things or try a different way of going about it because the technology has allowed you to do that. Whereas before, like, well, you want to do something different. You have to start over again and do a different mm. version, you know, yeah. now no. you don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah. It has changed completely, hasn't it? It's, uh, and how technology, it just oh, keeps yeah. evolving all the time. So you have to sort of adapt. And I also think yeah. as well, that's why um, Becky and I started the podcast as well, Randy, because it, just for these types of conversations, really, because we sort of sat back in the in the pandemic and thought, what can we do? And we thought, well, actually, let's let's start our own podcast. And, you know, we're really pleased we did, really, because we sort of feel we we timestamp people's conversations. Oh, it's really. great. It's great. To be, otherwise, we wouldn't yeah. have a reason to talk to you, really. You know, you know, it, in and it's yeah, great. Right. It's just a great yeah. opportunity. Yeah. Right. Right. And you should know, because sometimes I, you should know, I don't care who you want to talk to. I'm just being honest with you. If you're really interested in somebody and you do your, you know, you know, don't preclude anybody. You can call anybody you want. And let me tell you, they'll be happy to spend a good hour talking to you as long as they know that you're really interested in what they do. Yeah. Some, sometimes I'll talk to people, they don't, they don't realize mm -hmm. that. Oh, if you're not, if you're, if there's a different way or angle or something, um, it, it may not seem like that, but that's mm. the truth the, is that, uh, People are creative. People uh, are really, I think, interested in, um, in in talking about their craft and what they do more than you mm. may think, as long as you're doing it on a, a personal and uh, an artistic yeah. level. And they can tell you about the way they go about doing whatever they do, which is why you're interested in talking to them in the first place. Well, and, it, yeah. and that's a really great point because I mm. think for me, you know, working in the music industry all my life as well, and mainly on the festival side, I just think I mean, I'm a big fan of film and I'm just a big fan of the music in film. So when, it, you know, mm. it was an opportunity to speak with you and everything that you've done, I thought this is just, we've just got to yeah. do this because it, with all the films that I've seen, you know, The Mohicans, Kindergarten Cop, it just it's, makes it all... It's integral, it's, isn't it? To yeah, the, it's integral. It's the just, whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. See, what's great right now, where I'm <laughs> at in my life, is I've got all this stuff. And because of, of the way I play, uh, you know, I it's, it's kind of interesting because there's so much stuff that people know from all areas i mean i just did this thing in boston i went into that macgyver theme you would think i was playing the national anthem <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, something so, so silly, you know. Uh, uh. You know, something so <laughs> basic. They just went completely bananas. <laughs> you think I was playing the biggest hit song in the history. But I have a lot of different things. The historical stuff, Gettysburg, Dragonheart, Last of the Mohegans, the pop mm -hmm. songs, the huge comedies. I mean, I play My Cousin Vinny. Yeah. Down South. concert <laughs> okay i'm gonna i gotta go uh it's been great thanks so much randy it's been fantastic right. to speak with you it's yeah, been thanks, brilliant randy. you guys take care all the thanks best again okay you too bye well that's all for today's episode of the entertainment engine and thanks for listening join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment it would be great to have your feedback on the show so please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.